0: and welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. Follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana.
1: And I'm Dan Urban. Follow me at TheDanUrban. Follow the podcast at Couchside Judges and subscribe to us wherever you listen.
0: And if you like this show, and I think you will, give us that five-star review.
1: And as always, we talk judging in MMA, so you should read the scoring criteria. Just Google it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We we definitely have to get that uh, that going though, Dan. You and I, with, yeah, uh, with with getting the the criteria out there through our own platform too. I, let's get cracking. We're, with that. we're working on it. We are working on it. It's exciting. It'll get there, but uh, yeah, we're not quite there yet. But more importantly, we have a special guest on this episode of the Couchside Judges. I don't want to wait. I don't want to bury the lead. I want to get him out here right here. One of my favorite people in MMA media. Has agreed to join us for this episode, and, and I'm so thrilled. Uh, welcome aboard, Aaron Bronstetter of TSN. Aaron, thank you so much for joining the Couchside Judges this week.
2: My pleasure. You know, when the intro music started, it felt like I was like tripping and like it's in quicksand because I listened to my podcast at 1.7 speed. Oh. So <laughs> when I hear your intro and I hear, it's like when I'm when I'm on Morning Combat, I feel the same way. It feels like Luke is just speaking in slow motion, <laughs> and that's why I think I speak a little bit faster than the average bloke because. I listen to things I want to consume as much as I can in an average week. I probably listen to 8 or 9 MMA podcasts wow, in a week, you. but I listen at 1.7 speed, so it takes me the equivalent of like listening to six podcasts. Um I like to consume as much information as possible. So when I heard the your intro music for the, um off the top, that's the first time I've heard it as it's like meant to be in the regular <laughs> Well,
1: yeah, people have have started using our intro music for other things. That's true. It's, it's growing it's... in popularity. Yeah, we get a lot of residuals on that. <laughs> No, we don't. I would imagine so. We'd watch this <laughs> decent
2: assists going out.
1: Yeah. Well, see,
0: the first time, because I didn't understand how this all worked, right? So we found this, this music, obviously, on one of those services where you can kind of license it, right? Uh, and so we agreed to get that. And we have, we can use it as much as we want, is really how it works. But I didn't understand that we don't still, like, have soul rights to that music anymore or anything like that. So I heard it in a commercial, and I got, like... I tripped out. I was like, what's going on? Why, how do they use it in our music? What's going on? And then Dan explained, oh, yeah, you know, you're, you're licensed to do it however much you want, but so is somebody else. And I'm like, oh, all right, fair enough.
2: Let's just wait for PFL fighters to start walking out to it <laughs> and have a really great time.
0: I appreciate that you always bring back my old tweet for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, Aaron, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really happy to have you on. Uh, this has been you know, a long time coming. We're so glad to have you. So, uh, yeah, why don't we kind of get into it, though? Because, of course, the meat and potatoes of this episode is going to be pretty much all of it's going to be UFC 283, which just happened on Saturday night. Uh, couple titles being decided. Uh, and changing hands isn't necessarily the right word. One of them was a vacant title. One of them was a unification. So, you know, it's kind of a weird situation here. But let's start, of course, with the... Uh, The main event here, Jamal Hill getting a dominant win over Glover Teixeira. I don't think anyone necessarily saw it being quite so lopsided over the course of a five rounder that goes the distance here, right? But still, nonetheless, a really impressive performance from Jamal. Goes out there, takes care of business. Glover Teixeira, of course, retires uh, in the cage. And I don't think that's necessarily too unexpected given the nature of the, the last couple fights. But let's focus on Jamal here real quick because he is in the spotlight. But really, it's it's more about what he means in relation to Yuri Perhaska. He's kind of taking care of the division while Yuri is gone. It's it's kind of the implicit other side of the coin where Yuri says, I don't want to hold the division. At the same time, he holds a lot of, uh, he's kind of the specter over it, right? So what I would like to think, I don't know when we're getting this fight, but when we do, who deserves to be the favorite when Jamal Hill meets Yuri Perhaska for that championship? Let's start with you, Aaron.
2: Yeah, I think that Yuri will probably be the favorite. In that fight, I think that what we saw from Yuri in that Glover fight spoke volumes about him. Although I think you can probably say the same about Jamal Hill. But at the same time, I think that if Glover was 43 years old going into last night's fight, he was basically 45 years old after that Yuri fight. Yeah. Like that that took so much, I think, out of, his, um, out of his, you know, fuel tank, if you want to call it that. Um, and I think that, you know, Jamal Hill probably answered every question we had about him yesterday. And I think that that was really important because, you know, had he knocked Glover out in the first round, I think Yuri is probably a bigger favorite um, than he would be after watching Jamal Hill do what he did yesterday, where he went all five rounds, his cardio held up, his volume held up for the most part. I think we got to see the complete picture of what Jamal Hill is going to bring to the table. And I think at 31 years old, he's actually going to improve more. I think you can say the same for Yuri, who's 29, although he has, I think, more miles on him. Um, So I I think that Yuri will be a slight favorite. Like if I were to project the line, I don't know if they've put one out yet. Because I don't think they know whether Yuri's going to be the next opponent. It could very well be Ankalyev, who, that's I, who I also think would be favored over Hill. Um, but uh, I think that Yuri would probably be like a minus one thirty-five kind of favorite. Not not a not a huge favorite. What do you think about that, there?
1: I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I think Yuri Yuri slight favorite.
0: All right. Yeah, I think I'd probably lean that way, too. But I mean, having said that, that's obviously we're identifying who'd be the favorite going into it. I'm not necessarily sure I know who would win that matchup when we actually get down to the meat and potatoes of actually projecting who wins it. Because, man, I mean, both of them bring some really excellent skills, especially in the striking department to the table. I don't know that this would be a all striking affair. I think probably both of them would feel like, hey, we've got a little bit of dimension to our games we can mix in. And I think it would be a fascinating mixed martial arts uh, matchup that is more geared to striking, so I really think it's going to be just an electric fight. Well, but uh,
1: yeah, what? Yeah, I, I think. I mean, Yuri kind of throws defense to the wind. He's like, whatever. That's true. <laughs> so, and, and Jamal Hill hits very hard. So I, 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 and often too. So
0: that's the thing with Jamal. He he doesn't always hit. He's really not throwing hundred percent most of that time. You can kind of tell, but he's putting it out there you know, usually somewhere in the, what, 70, 80%, and he's put it out a lot, and I think that the death by a thousand cuts, and these cuts are big cuts, uh, I think that's what really makes Hill so dangerous, and that's why I've, I've been saying on this show for years, Dan, and you can, you can back me up here, that I have thought Jamal Hill was on track to be a champion one day, so we're here, uh, is he number one in the world? No, but he's the UFC champion, uh, and that obviously is is very special in itself, so I'm looking forward to that fight.
1: Is he the lineal champion? No, the, well, Yuri Perhaska is the lineal oh, champion. Okay. I Dan, still don't understand this concept. St- so.
0: Aaron, I've tried to explain this to Dan, the lineal champion concept. Do you, do you want to take a stab at maybe explaining it to my friend here?
2: Well, I think Cyril Gan is going to be the lineal, lineal champion if he wins in March. Does that, is that fair? No, I, I know what the difference is. I'm just joking. <laughs> but this John guy. Jones never lost the title, right? So this guy. Uh, yeah, the lineal champion is like the last person to defeat the actual title holder. Okay. In which case, Yuri has not been defeated. So, yeah. but then again, neither is John Jones. That's, that's the, a, I, mean, I don't think John Jones is going to be a light heavyweight ever again.
0: I think that's pretty much where it goes. Because when you see, you know, it's happened in boxing before too. Like Lennox Lewis when he retired, uh, the, the lineal champion went away. They start a new line at that point. Uh, that kind of was the case here when John Jones. He didn't retire. He did leave. He's not going to defend that lineal title again so they pick it up with whoever is considered to be number one versus number two and in that case it was the UFC so that is the new lineal line you're right Uh, but thank you that hopefully makes a little more sense
2: to you it's as relevant as pound for pound rankings like I don't think it matters
0: it kind of doesn't you're not wrong but it is kind of especially now that we have uh, Francis Ngannou going out on his own striking out outside the UFC I feel like it's something that's going to be at the forefront a little bit more than it used to be just the idea that the best is not only the UFC champion. I think we used to be able to equate that and it's harder to do that now. But I want yeah, to ask you guys. Oh, sorry, Aaron. No, it's okay. Go ahead. I was going to say, I wanted to ask you guys too, because as, as much as the focus should be on the winner and where things are going in that respect, we got to give flowers to Glover Teixeira, oh. who had just a really amazing career. And not just the fact that we're not we're just trying to say, like, oh, you know, he was a champion and that kind of thing. He had, you know, a decade in the UFC. He really had just a remarkable run in this sport when you go all the way back to way before he was in the UFC and everyone's kind of given the flowers to the idea that he had a great career before he got here and then he managed to have a second one too but I want to ask you uh I'll start with you Aaron as well uh lasting memory from Glover to share his career like when you look back at Glover when you think of Glover in a year or two like what do you think you're going to go to number one
2: I just think it's him beating uh Blachowicz. I mean like I don't think that that's uh an answer that you know most people would not give for this I think th- most would agree that that's probably the lasting memory of Glover. He took the scenic route. He was the second oldest champion in UFC history, um, just by sticking with it. And I think that you you have to respect the guy for being able to do that. It's not an easy task. So you know, I, I think that's probably where um, I, my lasting memory of Glover will always be. Is just that, that particular win. It was just so triumphant at such a late stage in his career. The hoops that you know have been talked about ad nauseum about getting to the United States and being able to compete with the best late in his career. Again, just, I think him taking the scenic route to a championship. um, I think that's gotta be it. I mean, had he won last night in Brazil and retired as champion, that's probably it because so few people get to have that triumphant moment. But I think that win over Jan Blachowicz and and the dominance in which he did it is going to be the lasting memory I have over. What about you, Dan? Do you think of anything
0: different? Or is that kind of would you agree with Aaron? Well, when I think
1: of Glover, I think of him getting his shoulder ripped by John Jones with that shoulder crank. Oof. That always that always comes to like top top of the line, but it's just super toughness, really. This whole last run from the Anthony Smith fight on, um, it's just Glover proving everyone wrong, basically. Yeah. So that yeah. that's kind of the last in memory.
0: I kind of think the same thing. More the toughness, like and obviously his his accomplishment. I agree, Aaron is is absolutely that is the peak. Uh, accomplishment of his career, and that that should be the number one when we're talking about resume. But I think just for me, I'm going to think of two things. It's Number one is that toughness, right? The fact that, especially late in his career, like we said, from Anthony Smith on, like – he was losing in these fights and he would just come back like you you people forget because he was so dominant in that anthony smith fight by the end that he was getting 10 7 conversations about it that he was losing the first couple rounds like it really wasn't going his way and and all of a sudden he just kind of comes back he was he was in a bad way against uh i believe it was it was a uh, tiago santos too right
1: yeah it's, Glover get rocked survive and win
0: yeah, this huh? this is this is the glover to share, and that's why when we're watching that fight last night, uh, um, well, we're recording on Sunday, uh, that fight Saturday night, we're thinking even in that fifth round, as much as the conversation is like, hey, maybe we should listen to John Hackelman and stop this fight, we're also thinking, I mean, could it possibly happen, especially when he gets that takedown? You're like, Uh-oh, oh boy, this might actually happen. There was <laughs> drama in a fight that ended up being fifty to forty four on all the cards. That's wild in and of itself, right? So the fact that we couldn't count him out, I think that's number one. And number two, I would also just point out that just how classy an individual he is. I think that's something I'll always remember, that he was very gentlemanly. He represented the sport supremely well. He comes from a different era, and I think he brought that in. He kept that alive in this era, and I, I love that. I'm really appreciative of that.
2: Yeah, and I don't fault them for not stopping that between rounds in Glover's case, like between rounds four and five. I think they knew that if Glover lost this fight, that's it for his career. Give him a round. We saw what happened with Alex Pereira back in November, and I know that's a very different circumstance because of the amount of damage that Glover took. I put that on Twitter. I wrote, I wrote that exact thing basically. Like, you have to think that in the corner, after watching what Pereira did, that it would be tough for them to to call it for Glover. And I wrote, I know it's an entirely different circumstance given the amount of damage. And people are like, oh, it's totally different, and I'm like, yeah. Read the tweet, dude. Like, <laughs> I, 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 it's like, hard it's to read 240 right characters. There. Like, several people responded by writing that, like, oh no, this is different. This is yeah. Read the tweet. (laughs) But at the same time, like, I think that they would have, you know, Glover would have been, he deserved that last round. And I think that him getting that takedown and making everybody gasp and hold their breath for, at that point in time, he could have won that fight. Like, if you know, all it takes is Jamal Hill making one wrong move and Glover's got his neck and that fight's over, right? That's the kind of fighter Glover is. And in the light heavyweight division, like the difference between Lauren Murphy and and, uh, Glover, I think Glover had a path in the fifth round. I don't think that Lauren Murphy had a path in the third round.
0: I think that's a fair, yeah, that last point I think is absolutely fair. And and also hindsight being a, a beneficial tool here. We did at least see Glover did not take a whole lot extra damage in that particular round. Uh, Jamal Hill slowed down. He was also on his back for a little while. They were engaging on the ground in different ways. So it really wasn't uh, there was not a lot of offense in that round, really. I think Jamal Hill in a lot of ways punched himself out in that dominant fourth round that he had. Um, but I do want to move on. I want to move the conversation forward so we can get to our, our, our rounds in a little bit. We do have to talk about this championship fight, the other championship fight. Uh, between Brandon Moreno, Davis and Figueredo. their uh, quadrilogy, tetralogy, I know Dan hates that word. Uh is, is I'm with over Dan. <laughs> yeah. quadrilogy.
2: Let's
0: go. I'm 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 good with team uh, tetralogy. I think it's fun, especially because people don't like it. <laughs> but but obviously it's over now. We're we're finally in the post Moreno Figueredo era of flyweight. The, the it's it's done. We can move forward. But I want to know and I'll start with you Dan What do you think the flyweight division looks like now, especially with Figueredo out of the picture? He's moving up.
1: Well, to steal a little bit from uh, Michael Chiesa, we're going to see quite a few rematches in another trilogy. Involving Brandon Moreno.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, yeah, that's probably fair. Uh, any, anything? Uh, what, do you, what do you see? You think, Aaron? Is is that kind of the the immediate future? Where do you see? Kind of the things even going long term? Maybe
2: it's not really officially a trilogy, right? Because of the Pantoja fight taking place on the Ultimate Fighter technically an exhibition. I but... mean, it
0: happened. It's, it's not. It didn't
2: not happen, but it's not official. But it was. A fin- it'll be it will be so... built as Moreno versus Pantoja too. You you're,
0: you're not wrong. That's true. But it's, it's a weird one, right? Because in boxing, we don't typically have those type of things in trilogies. It's like they, they fought three times, they did, because they don't usually meet on the Emmy level. They don't have exhibitions uh, in the same way. We didn't see them more, but it's different here because of the Ultimate Fighter, right?
2: Yeah, but this is the end of a chapter. Like, I think that if you look at the flyweight division with Figueredo moving on to the bantamweight division, I think that... You look at the upcoming challengers. You've got Pantoja, but then you look at the young guys. You've got Mokaev coming up. You've got uh, Tatsuro Tyra, who I'm very high on. Um, a lot of really good young talent is starting to get uh, put into this division, where I think we're just going to start seeing a lot of new challengers emerging. Um, whoever Kaikara France faces next, I think that's going to be very interesting. Um, I know he he got injured and was, well, I think he was supposed to face who Alex Perez or something along those lines. But you've got Nicolau coming up. You've got Brandon Royval, who if he if he can like learn to fight a little bit smarter, can move his way up up uh, the ladder as well. B- Dan's a Manel big Royval Cop. supporter, yeah. Manel Kopp is going to be a problem for people. Like, There's a lot of really good fighters that are coming up in this division where um, I think that chapter's closed. Brandon Moreno is the only UFC champion in his 20s right now. We're gonna see a lot of exciting fights in this flyweight division in the years to come. And I'm I'm super stoked for it.
0: I feel like this this uh this whole obviously it got dragged out, right? It, it was took place so one fight every year, but it really was like kind of a 37-month period, right? And I feel like what this did is it did actually bring a lot of positive attention to the flyweight division. It did make it seem bigger, right? It, it as much as Mighty Mouse Johnson absolutely is, was, probably will be for a very long time, the absolute goat of the 125-pound division. His legacy is going to be extremely hard to top. For whatever reason, things never just took off with him in, in terms of mainstream kind of acceptance of his division and his popularity and that kind of thing. I love him personally. I don't. It kind of bothers me that never happened. But nonetheless, this division seems much more prestigious and interesting to average fan than it did before. And I think a lot of the credit really does have to go to these two individuals, right? I think so all right
2: <laughs> but i do want to ask Sorry, you I, too- I, I was talking a lot during that last <laughs> answer i wanted to give dan the floor that's all right
0: we we, we, we like sh- hearing you Aaron. you're the guest that's mm. great
2: well yeah i mean yeah you have to give those guys credit because they built one of the best rivalries we've ever seen in the ufc it might not have been as like fierce of a rivalry as some of the other ones in terms of the bad blood and all that but we're talking four fights like a legitimate four fight series where everybody kind of wanted the fourth fight it wasn't like ah oh, not this again like those guys created a lot of magic in the cage i thought that the fourth fight was probably the worst of the four of them. Yeah, a because, little anticlimactic, right? Yeah, I, like, I thought Figueroa fought like fought terribly. Like he just, it didn't seem like he was committing to any of his strikes. And I thought that Brendan Moreno was a step ahead of him for the entire fight. Um, I know we're going to talk about one of the rounds a little bit later on, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I like I didn't I didn't see Figueroa when I was watching that fight. I'm like, no, Figueroa's going to lose. Like it just seemed to me like he didn't have what it took to beat that version a guy entering his prime now of Brandon Marino. And I thought that Brandon Marino fought poorly against Kai Kaikara France. I was expecting Figurator to roll last night and uh, quite the opposite.
1: I want to give credit to the officiating and judging of the first fight, because without the point taken <laughs> and without round five getting scored for Marino, which was not right one way
0: off, I don't support that.
1: We don't get these other three. It's true. We, we maybe get one, but I, we definitely don't have four.
0: Yeah. So, so in, in essence, the having, I don't want to qualify it as bad judging because, one, number one, I think uh, Junichiro Camijo is one of the best judges uh, in the world, and he's the one who gave that round to Moreno. It's It's a bad score as far as I'm concerned, but he's still a good judge. But yeah, as a result of a bad score, we got... A lot more, and I I think it's – sometimes we just kind of have to accept if things don't work out in in judging, like, hey, sometimes it can actually lead to some really interesting things. We don't know what's going to happen, and and not that we want bad judging or or – bad scores or anything like that but it is kind of a part of the the deal here where the human element is not going to be perfect and and as a result we actually got something pretty beautiful out of it
2: yeah i'll probably after we're done recording this, i'm not sure if anybody's looked this up but i'd be very curious to see who won more rounds out of those four fights like if we were to go to the scorecards and look round by round by round because i think moreno might have passed him yesterday although again figueredo got that second round but Uh, I'd just be very curious to see how many rounds each guy won. So please don't steal my idea, because after this uh, (laughs) recording, I'm going to go and look that up. All All right. right. No, I already tweeted about it. You didn't even see, but I did that already. Did you? Like this moment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. You got easy. like you got your Siri just listening to what I'm saying. Yep. And just doing sitting the work here. Just
0: just going like this, Aaron. I'm tweeting <laughs> yeah. with my thumbs out here. But anyway. well, I wouldn't. You're a smart guy. I wouldn't have been surprised
2: if he did it yesterday. <laughs>
0: no, we had not, unfortunately. So that's all you. We'll we'll back off of that one. But thinking about Figueroa here, because obviously he has now said he took the gloves off ceremonially because he's actually not retiring i was wondering what he was doing there sitting there with his gloves off and in his hand i'm like what's he doing here is he really retiring but but no it looked like it was more just to emphasize that he is leaving 125 blessedly thankfully finally uh, as much as he obviously was one of the top 125ers that cut was brutal we saw the images of him during the week uh, absolutely shredded to the point where a paper cut probably would have had him bleed out it looked really weird uh, but now we have him moving up to 135 where I've wanted him for quite a while very happy to see it the question for you uh, and I'll start with you Dan what do you think uh, of his chances of getting to the 135 pound title shot within 18 months that's a that's a big thing tough division to get that's break a hard into, right? hard
1: division depends where they start him. that's true really i mean if they i mean i don't think o'malley has a fight because i don't think Aljo's fighting in march right he's got that torn bicep
0: it seems like it's like 50 so, 50 if you listen to him
1: i mean if they go if they go figurino o'malley maybe he gets there within 18 months right because peter jan and devalsvili are, are booked and that's right and vera and sanhagen are booked yes. i believe so yeah that's next month so o'malley's really the only one there uh, i think rob font's booked as well so yeah he's got right?
0: Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that one's April though.
1: Everyone's booked, really, except like Dominic Cruz and Pedro Munoz and uh, Umar. You can go Umar too. Yeah, that would be an interesting fight. Umar versus Davis and Figueredo. I, well, I've, I've actually
0: seen Caposas being like, "Hey, maybe it'll be uh, Umar and and uh, Dominic Cruz." Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> that just feels like you're feeding uh, Cruz out there just to just it. it's weird to dance. say that you're feeding that. Cruz. Cruz would anybody. never sign that contract. I, I don't no, think he ever would. Cruz. I think he no, he I think he's never signed that contract. He's very smart with his career. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Aaron, what do you think? I mean, it, obviously, it, we're talking about, again, a very a tough division to break into. What do you think of his chances? And give him 18 months from now.
2: I will put it into a percentage, and I will say he has a 0.3% chance of getting a title shot within the next 18 months. Wow. Because, Well, I mean, look at look at the division. Who is he beating in the top 10? Like, how many guys would he be favored against? Let's pretend that we're just putting odds out sure, there. Sure, sure. I think he'd be an underdog against Rob Font. Like, I'm going to start at number, at number six. Underdog against Font. I think against Dominic Cruz may, might be favored. I would favor him. But then, like, how far along does he get? Against Song Yedong, he would not be favored. Against Munoz, maybe he's favored. Against Ricky Simone, I think he's an underdog. And then I think against Umar, definitely an underdog. To me, this is the what I would do with with Davison. I would have him face the winner of Adrian Yanez and uh, Rob Font. Like, I think that would be a good entry point for him into this division to see where he's at. Um, but I don't think that in 18 months he's going to be able to beat one of these top five guys—he's not going to beat Sandhagen, Cheeto Vera, Mirabdiwalashvili, Pyotr Yan, or Sean O'Malley, in my opinion, and not Aljo either. Like, so I, I don't think that. Him getting a title shot is very realistic, to be honest, especially after he fought. Yes- how he fought yesterday.
0: You are very down on him. I'm actually a lot more favorable. I, I'm not saying he would. I, first off, I would not favor him against the champion. I would not favor him against Mirab. Um, but I think uh, there are a lot of fighters he could hang with. The fact that he is inconsistent, I think, is part of the biggest issue with him is I think that no one doubts the talent, but he doesn't always show up like it kind of like you're talking about. He did not fight very well last night. And it's not the first time we've seen him just not fight to his ability. And that's the part that I would worry about. But when he's on, he's pretty scary. So I'm curious to see how he would do up there. I do think he would I I would actually I'm not a better, but I would put money on him to be
2: Dominic Cruz if they were too matched up. I really do think that for me, it's more the age. Sure. Like, yeah, Bantamweight's not an easy division to begin with. But to be at 36, I'm sure he's turning 36 this year, and, I, and he'll be probably the same size as the other fighters in this division, maybe a little bit smaller. And that's tough skating, in my opinion. Sure,
0: sure. That, I mean, it's fair points all around, but we'll see. We'll see how these things play out over over the next uh, 18 months, right? We've got a clock started. I'm still going to say no. My answer is officially no. But, man, uh, let's put it a percentage. I'm going to put it at, like, 15% that he can get oh. there. I'm Break I'm going to go f- I'm going much more uh, favorable point 03 guess, percent you. <laughs> That's point three. What's your percentage, Dan? Let's get one out there.
1: Uh, I'm going to go with a little higher. A little higher than Yeah, me? 25% chance Ooh, he gets Wow, higher. Okay. Yes. It, dep- it, it depends it depends where start they start laying, him out. Laying some bones down if on they that. throw him if they throw him into a top 5 fight and he wins, he's going to be there.
0: The entry point is
1: key. It's that where got, wherever that he really starts. is
0: because if he starts there and he doesn't have a whole lot of the way. But but again, we're so backed up right now. We've got Henry Cejudo. we we've got you know, Sean O'Malley, if Murad goes out there and wins and, and Aljo does not have the championship belt at that point, who knows? you going to fight? Su- supposedly. We'll, yeah, we'll, I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it certainly looks
2: that way. Aaron, Aaron, I trust. Aaron knows. He got back in the USADA pool. Like, I don't think okay. he's doing it for, like, histrionics. But, uh, you know, I think that at the same time with, like, Davison, like, what's the percentage of him getting a win at Bantamweight in the next 18 months is, like, to me, hmm. what, maybe 50%. Like, if depending on who he's against from the guys. I think again, like I said, I said tough skating, I meant tough sliding. But I think that it's going to be problematic for him to get a win against some of these guys in this division.
0: Yeah, and I understand, I understand. But we'll move on here. I think we've we've kind of made our peace. We're we're on different sides of this coin. But real quick, before we get into contestant rounds, we do like to kind of go over the, the rounds themselves, the number of rounds and the percentage of which the judges were on the same page. And in this case, they had 24 rounds, despite the fact that there were 10 finishes on this card, uh, just 15 fights overall. It was a big, massive, long card, but also, you know, stops and starts, a lot of good finishes in there. 20 out of 24 rounds that the judges turned in scores for, they agreed on. 83.3%, that is a higher percentage than we're typical getting uh, three of these out of actually three out of the four were eight nine splits. So there was only really only one time where the judges disagreed on the round winner. This is this is pretty darn good judging, uh, Dan. Very good. I'm I'm pleased yeah. to see it. I think it, it's really good that we didn't come out of this event complaining about the judging in terms of who won and that kind of thing. You you got some uh, disagreements with whether there was an eight or a nine and that kind of thing. We're gonna get into a lot of that just in a moment, but I think ultimately we came out of this card in a good spot with judging. And I think that's a really good thing.
2: Um, well, I think I think the best part about it, Scott, is that we're seeing a lot of unfamiliar judge names from that are like with the Brazil Commission, like, yes. you know, Rafael Pajera, uh, Fabio Alves, uh, like uh, Halas and Pontes. Like, these are names that we're not accustomed to. And the fact that they were so um, aligned with all of these judges that came over, like the Derek Cleary's, uh, Mike Bell, D'Amato, like, I think that's a really good sign.
0: They integrated very well. And I think, I, I do think though, and we're going to get into this, that the fact that those judges were much more willing to give out the eight than the nine, I think that speaks to the fissure that we have in terms of whether eights or nines are given out, specifically in the Nevada, you know, those kind of commissions, that kind of thing. Ever since Dana, Dana White, of course, got very critical of the the fact that we were seeing too many eights, particularly in that fifth round that I always reference, Jan Blachowicz, Israel Adesanya, almost two years ago now. Ever since then, there is a, a very stark split in terms of how often we were seeing the eights given out. And ever since then, you talk to judges, too, and it's, it's a very frustrating thing for them because now they're not on the same page anymore. And we're seeing when you go outside of the United States... It is very different. The judges from, the, from America are much less likely to give the eights. The ones who work in Vegas, they're much less likely to give the eights. You go anywhere else, we're seeing more eights. And, and granted, this was a card that just had a lot of lopsided rounds. Sometimes that just happens. Sometimes it doesn't. But in this case, yeah, we were seeing a lot of the eight, nine splits going in the direction of the eight, and most often it was not the local judge, or it was the local judge, excuse me, who gave that eight. So why don't we dive in though? Let's start. Uh, Real quick, I want to point out that there was only six judges working for 15 fights. Yeah, that's a a lot of work for these judges too. So the fact that we had that, and also I do want to point out one more quick thing. Brazilian judges have a reputation for giving the hometown discount for fighters from Brazil. And I don't know that that's I don't, I had no idea whether it was earned or not at certain points that you could go all the way back and maybe you could say that one way or the other. I had opinions that were different than I do now, understandings than I have now that I didn't before of that situation. But I think when you look at this, they are absolutely unbiased because more often than not, we were seeing them not favoring the local fighters from brazil I, I think they did just a bang up job in terms of being absolutely unbiased in their work so i, I applaud the the brazilian judges yeah. on I, the whole
1: i actually had luan Lacerda winning i thought he won one in three okay but uh interesting
2: but the judges yeah i think i way. think with, when we saw Warley Alves and dalby that decision early on in the card which was a, a pretty close fight i think that was a good sign that like we you know at least they were going In the right direction.
0: Absolutely. Well, granted, two of those were American judges, but the one Brazilian judge did give it to Dalby, and we'll get to that round in a bit. But I do want to focus on the three eight nine splits. This seems like the theme of the show in terms of what we should be talking about in the judging. There, there was a split decision, but it wasn't a, wasn't one that I think people going crazy about. Again, we'll get that at the end. Let's start with Jessica Andraj and her just. devastatingly dominant victory over Lauren Murphy. Unanimous decision. 30-25 on two cards. 30-26 on another. We had people scoring 30-24s. Me. You had 30-24. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I can understand. We are only split, though, on round two because round one was a unanimous nine. I scored it a nine when I watched it. I kind of had buyer's remorse right after Steve Morocco of uh, of MMA fight and called me out on it. And uh, I love you too, Steve. But <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I, I think he's probably right to do so. I think that was probably an eight. We are split on the nine because round three is all eights. Let's talk about round two, uh, this split round here in terms of eight, nine, Dan, what happened?
1: Yeah, really? It's Andrade, uh landing whatever she wants. And anything that Murphy's thrown back to her has no effect. It's like... She just walk on dry. Just walking right through it, returning fire, landing heavy, heavy. I think you can describe this round as a, as like a fire starts as a small smolder, and by the end of the round, it's just it's it's a blaze, pretty much is how how it went for me. It's a very slow burn to getting to a ten eight.
0: I love that just, imagery.
1: Just a steady steady increase to get to that point. Uh I think she gets there in that final, after the clacker, the final 10 seconds, she just starts blasting off. There's a point where I I can understand because she gets the the front headlock and just kind of chills there for like 45 seconds. But uh, I I do think this, she has definitely has damage. I think she has dominance on the feet. I think duration is probably uh, a stretch. But yeah, 10-8 uh, for me. So, Andraj.
0: So you scored with the majority here. The the Brazilian judges uh, Rafael Ferreira and Fabio Alves. By the way, I like that there was a Ferreira on this card and an Alves as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just you're, you're you're always going to get one or the other. I feel like, or a Silva. <laughs> but but here we had kind of everyone on both sides of the uh, the fighting and the judging kind here. Um, Aaron, how do you
2: have it? I had the second round 10-9 for Andraj. Um, and I'll just preface all of these scorecards that I'm giving you. I was watching with Charles Jordan yesterday um at TSN usually i watch at home and i have a lot more of a keen eye to the scoring criteria when i'm watching i just remember saying to charles and my senior producer jason who was there i was like i think 1 and 3 were 10 8s and i thought the 2 was a 10 9 um now in terms of the reason why i just thought that murphy gave a just enough resistance to avoid it being a 10 8 um i think dan you just mentioned uh, like the uh you felt that the the dominance might not have been there and the duration might not have been there but i think dominance um, was
1: there you think the dominance I was there th- okay yeah
2: Yeah, I mean, she is looking to finish the fight. I think if you get two of those 3Ds, maybe you get the 10-8. I just didn't didn't know. I don't know if I just didn't think that there was enough dominance in that round. I thought that, again, just enough resistance to give me a bit of hesitation. And I thought that in terms of the damage, I thought she took a lot more damage in rounds one and three than she did in round two. Um, But the the damage, it's definitely accumulated to a point where everybody was saying to stop it after the second round because it just looked like Murphy had no path um, like we discussed earlier. But I I remember going 10-9 for that particular round. Yeah,
1: I I agree with with ten uh round one. I think the damage is a little higher because in round two, and Josh is light kicks, and they were very damaging in round one. So I, I that's why I was still there in in round two because I, I thought the headshots were were heavy, and she still had the dominance. But yeah, I agree that round two is probably a, a step below round one, maybe. So I
0: don't always get the chance to rewatch these rounds uh, before we record. Sometimes it's, it's a time factor. Sometimes it's just I would like to stick with my initial uh, you know feeling on the round. But I feel like when, it, when we're talking about eights and nines, sometimes I need that extra watch. You talk to judges, by the way, and a lot of judges will tell you that the harder thing isn't to determine who won the round. It's to determine to what degree, whether to go for the eight or the nine. That's something that it's a common refrain that I'll get from judges that I speak to. Um, and, and so that, with that in mind, I do like to give that extra watch if I can. And I did that in this case. I've got to say, I, gave, I scored the nine live for Andrade. Same as you, Aaron. Um, same as Sal D'Amato. He was the, the out judge on this one. But watching this again, I, I, I really don't think it's that hard to go for the eight here either. So I almost think that my revised scorecard. Now, granted, I, I put a 3026 out there. I go with whatever I put out there first. I don't like to revise it for uh, the purposes of MMA decisions. I don't think that's fair. I think we have to go with what I say, and that's what I do. So you go to MMA decisions, it's going to say 3026 Andrade from Scott Fontana of New York Post. For the purposes of having thought about it a little bit more, I feel like you can get to 3024
2: here. I'm really okay with it. I'm very okay with it. And, and <laughs>
0: that's not a good thing, right? It's <laughs> not a good thing for Lauren Murphy. No. Yeah,
2: I don't. did you guys see the stat that I put out last night about uh... – the significant head strikes? No, no. Which one? Okay, let me pull it out just to make sure that I have the accurate numbers here. There so, you go. Lauren Murphy officially absorbed 161 significant head strikes in that fight. By comparison, Zhang mm-hmm. Veli versus Joanna Won, that the all-out war. Sure. They absorbed a combined 192 significant head strikes over five rounds. Yeah, oh, God. So, like, we're <laughs> talking a difference of 31 significant head strikes between just Murphy and those two combined over five rounds of what I think is the wholesale opinion would be that that is the most like action-packed female ufc fight of all time
0: and and here's another crazy one too and this this is strictly isolated to tonight uh the and i don't have the numbers offhand in particular but i i'm gonna estimate them from what i recall ufc stats has jessica andrage landing 242 significant strikes in this free round fight jamal hill a few fights later and another fight that was totally dominant landed
2: 231
0: over five rounds. This was only
2: three. And Dodge was 231. So 231. I think I think actually you might have it. Oh, I have it backwards. Approach. Okay. So yeah.
0: very cl- – nonetheless, I mean we're only talking about 10 strike difference and two rounds. That was – that is just absurd, the, the, the level of output that Jessica Andrade was able to put out there, especially for uh, a women's fight. We don't usually see the volume – carry over that often at the women's fights level it just doesn't usually happen from one side to the other where a fighter is actually still standing still in there and you know credit lauren murphy's toughness all you want but i mean shoot she was not in that fight for a while
2: second most significant strikes landed in a three-round fight in ufc history absolutely crazy you know what number one is
0: no
1: what is
2: it diaz cerrone oh. <laughs> that was yeah. death by you a should, million he, paper cuts. he destroyed him yeah but
1: that was the week Donald got kicked in the face by a horse or something,
2: right? Is that why? Is that the one? It, that's every week, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's
0: true. We can move on, though. We've got a couple more of these 8-9 uh, splits to get into. Brandon Moreno, Davis and Figueiredo ended in after the third round. TKO, Docker stoppage. Absolutely fair. No reason to think that Davis and Figueiredo could see out of that eye that was hurt in that third round. But was it actually a 10-8 or a 10-9? We have the split here. Dan, what happened in round three?
1: Yeah, this is a, kind of a low output round to start. Maybe they exchange, have a couple exchanges, but no one's really pulling away. I think Marino's a little bit ahead here. But then she, he lands that left hook that with, with his thumb knuckle, goes into the eye, cracks a... A legal fig, strike. A yeah, legal strike, for sure. Cracks Figueroa, ends up, does end up causing the end of the fight. Um, Figueroa thinks he's being poked, he's asking for time, and then... This, this this round uh, um, makes me ask a lot of questions. Like He goes down, but he's going down, basically down. basically pulling guard because he can't see. He thinks he was poked. He's like, okay, the safest place for me right now is, is guard. I won't take as much damage here. I can, you know, keep him close. For the rest of the round, about three minutes, Marino's landing some intermittent ground and pound. I don't see a ten eight here. The damage is there. I don't think you have overwhelming damage. But you have do- You don't have dominance and you don't have duration here. I don't see a 10-8. Yeah,
0: I don't think you're getting a whole lot of damage out of this round is really what it is. I, there's just not. You have that strike, obviously, and and, mm-hmm. and inarguably very damaging. It ended the fight. No questions there. One strike does not a 10-8 make. And, and if you take that out of the equation, there's really just not a whole lot else happening outside of, you know, a little guard work, a little bit of Moreno posturing up and, and landing a little bit. Uh, near the end and earlier on yeah had maybe that edge just a little bit even Figueredo got in a decent shot early on before before mm-hmm. everything went sideways so yeah i i feel like this is very natural as a 10-9 a round i'm almost, i'm actually pretty surprised that we had the eight i kind of i i i read over the scorecard when i shared it and i said oh okay it was just it was two rounds of moreno rounds one and three and and then round two was figueredo which I'm actually very surprised, by the way, that DC in the end, uh, on the uh, commentary couldn't see how Figueroa won round two. I thought that was a, 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 not a clear, but I thought Figueiredo's uh, guillotine. Uh, Those was, elbows at the end. And they, Yeah, yeah, I think what we're having here is a, it's neither here nor there, but I thought Figueroa definitely won round two. I felt good with that. But I was very surprised to see that eight there. You pointed it out to me, Dan.
2: I'm glad you did because we almost mm-hmm. didn't talk
0: about this round. Yeah. <laughs> and that would have been a shame. Uh, Aaron, what are your thoughts on this one?
2: Yeah, I think I'm aligned with you guys here. I mean, let's just break down the round as a whole here. Like, pretty even on the feet. Moreno catches him with the the knuckle to the eye, which is legal. Again. Um, But it's not even a knockdown, right? Like, Davison's just, like, trying to get the ref to stop it because he doesn't know if it's a finger or a knuckle or a punch or whatever. Gets taken down. Three and a half minutes of control for Moreno, where he's just doing body, body, head, and like not not landing anything of real significance, and his control in terms mostly of, in from terms of guard damage too, right? In, yeah, in full guard, like you know, Figueroa's kind of holding him in position to where he won't absorb as much damage. It's not like he's posturing up and banging on him. Like I think it's a very clear ten nine.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I agree. I, I'm definitely with, we're all with, uh, everybody here is, is agreeing with Michael Bell and Derek Cleary. It is Halison Pontes, the local judge, who gave the eight to Moreno here. Now, when you start to see this, you're almost like, hey, Brazil, maybe settle down with the eights. You're almost going too crazy here with the eights, but <laughs> I respect the game. Maybe not here. That's kind of how I felt about that one. Um, The other one that we have here, the third of the eight-nine splits happened on the prelims. Jalton Almeida, Getting a, a dominant victory over Shamil Abdurrahimov, round two TKO. It's round one, of course, that we have a full round here that went all Almeida, but was it a 10-8? Dan, why why are we even talking about this?
1: So he eats a, a big right hand right off the get right off the get-go. And Almeida just shoots, takes him down, and moves to mount and kind of just stays there. Uh has nothing for him. Uh, on the ground at all. Uh, Al Almeida lands some solid elbows and some hammer fists. Nothing crazy, really, but I do think we do have uh, all three Ds to some extent here. So ten eight Almeida.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a trickier one, right? I feel like this one, it, it it's not the dominant one. It's not the no, sorry, uh Moreno. you were really just a nine here. It's somewhere in that middle ground right and but to, to what degree i f- I feel like, yeah, you can probably check off to a certain point, especially late in the round. I think Almeida starts to really pour it on a little bit more. it started it was almost a slow build, like you were another one yeah before. another slow didn't quite get to that you know the the house needs to come down fire kind of situation. Mm-hmm. It was more just you know, maybe the kitchen's on fire at this point, so you know we let's put that out. I do. F- I went the eight. I feel okay with this being an eight, but I'm not obsessed with it being an eight too. I, I think it's it's still on that borderline here. So so I'm good with it being the eight, but it could go either way. And so we agreed with uh, judges uh, Rafael Fajera and Fabio Alves once again. They're uh, aligned here, and that's the other thing too to point out too was about these Brazilian judges. They they seem to see things the same way in within their own little group, and that that itself is at least a good sign of of good, hard-working judges, too. So it was good to see. Aaron, what do you think?
2: Yeah, it seems like this is another outlier where uh, I'm aligned with Sal D'Amato here. I thought it was a 10-9. And the reason why is, like, I can explain it in a pretty succinct fashion, like you need two of the 3Ds for a 10-8, but typically you don't get a 10-8 if the damage isn't there. And I didn't feel like the damage was there. I thought that you had the dominance and the duration, but I didn't see... Um, you know, If you look at the stats, he'd landed 14 significant strikes over the course of that round in total. I didn't see anything that put him in danger of that fight being stopped other than the position like i think the, you know the referee was saying defend yourself he was he was defending himself He was listening to the referee i don't think we saw any cuts opened up or anything along those lines not a whole lot of visible damage so uh for that reason i went with a 10-9 for um almeida in that round
0: this feels like uh it's it's like a a vegas 10-9 and an, an international 10-8 and that obviously mm-hmm. is how it played out but that again speaks to what i was talking about before and what i'll talk about Almost every week, I feel like is the schism between the way one area gives out the eights and one, and the way the rest of the world does, because of again that infamous round that we always have to bring up. Um, a little
1: stricter language, and I think we can clear some of that. Yeah, I think so. we,
0: we need to. It's, it is so imperative that at the at the ABC conference this year that they get on the books how they want these ten eights to be. The books say this can be a ten eight. It, it, they really do, but that's not the mandate we're seeing anymore, and that's why we have differences when they travel internationally or even to other commissions with other judges sometimes. it's just, We need to get that on the books. I think that is an absolute imperative this year from the, uh, the Rules and Regs Committee, and I, I, I know that they're working on that, but I, I hope they get to a point that hopefully we're all kind of on board with. We'll see what, what comes out of that whole ordeal. But that is it for the 10-8-9 splits. There was just that one round again in the split decision here with Nicholas Dalby getting the win over Warley Alves. 29 28s all around. Round one was Dalby. Round three was Alves. It's that middle one we're talking about. It's it's kind of the ebb and flow of the fight, where it's kind of going
1: one way to the other. How did round two shake out, Dan? Well, it started pretty decent for Alves. He landed a solid right hand, and then he gets to the clinch, and he drags it to the ground. He almost got himself mounted in a scramble, but he ended up on top in guard. From here, he didn't really do much. Not much offense to speak of here. Uh, Dalby gets back up, and... uh, Alba's when they get back up, he lands a solid, you know, three right hands, but Dalby is landing much more often and, and pretty strong too. I, I like it for Dalby here. He kind of just once they got back to defeat, he kinda out-volumed him and uh landed better. So
0: Yeah, I felt like this was a pretty good Dalby round. Not not one that I couldn't necessarily see yeah, the other way, but decently, decently close. close. Yeah, it's it's close, it's competitive. It's certainly arguable the other way, especially when you factor in, you know, those what angle are they seeing certain punches in and that kind of thing. I feel like you can give a little leeway in this round, but I like Dalby here. I think his offense was solid on TV. It looked out. It looked pretty good for him. So I went for Dalby here and I feel good about it. Fabio Alves agreed. Saldamado agreed. Uh, it was Derek Cleary who was split out on Alves. What about you, uh, Aaron? Were you were you on Alves or were you on Dalby?
2: Yeah, he blinded him with volume here, Nicholas Dalby. I thought that this was a, a situation where he was landing the more precise shots. But with Alves, like, you know that he's going to have the power advantage. So, mm. And I thought that he did with these strikes. So power doesn't necessarily always equate to damage. And that's why when you're looking at who's landing the heavier shots, you also do have to take accumulation into perspective when you're looking at the other side of things and does that accumulation you know lead to more damage than bigger damaging shots but less of them and I think it was one of those rounds where uh Dolby probably his accumulation did uh, you know accrued more damage over the course of the round than the bigger shots landed by Alves because Alves you know this is a guy who when, when he throws he throws with a lot of intent whereas Dolby I think a lot of his is more precision um uh, so I think that uh, I thought this was a really close fight, honestly. And I was surprised that Dalby got the uh, the deci- this, you know, decision in Brazil. But at the same time, maybe that's a bit of a misnomer. Right. And I think that if you look at the media scores and, you know, the public for the most part, not that that is the be all end all, of course, as sure, I'm sure sure. you guys discuss on a weekly basis. But um, I thought that Dalby probably did enough to win. I was very distracted during this fight, though. So, I mean, I, I will, you know, cop to that. Charles when I'm, Jordan kind of messing up everything. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How was that? Did you guys have a good time? Yeah, Charles is great. He's just like, just a really... So basically, the first time I met Charles Jordan was the last time the UFC was in Ontario. I think it was in 2019. Like, it was... That
0: sounds right, yeah. It
2: would have been 2019. It was like, uh, the main event was Cowboy versus Ally Akinta. Um, and the head of UFC PR came up to me, uh, of UFC Canada PR was like, Charles Jordan is here. We just signed him like a couple days ago. He's facing Des Green in Rochester in like a week or two. Do you want to uh, interview him and meet him? And I said, yeah. And when she brought him to me, I was basically saying, like, I, I looked at him and I was thinking, like, this guy looks like a kid. Like, he just looks like he was a fan of the sport. And he's just got this really, like, young exuberance about him. And I, I was asking him yesterday, I was like, are you closer in age to my oldest son than you are me? And thankfully, him and I are one year closer in age than he is to my oldest son. <laughs> so that, that's what it's like hanging out with some of these younger bucks in the sport for me. I get you. I get you. Uh, that's good though. It's it's
0: it's it's fun watching fights with a fighter because they give you kind of interesting perspectives that you wouldn't have gotten on your own. Um, obviously you and I are not fighters. None of us have actually fought before. Dan, at least has, has trained in a very diverse set of uh martial arts. I have only trained in jujitsu. Uh, so yeah, it, it definitely fills out your knowledge gap, and I always like to do that. Um, whenever I get the chance, it's very rare. So what we have. To get to really quick before we get to our finishes. Usually we're done at this point, but we're adding a new segment this year, and I'm calling it the 10 7 gauge because we just need some name for it. But anyway, the point of this segment is to kind of go over when we do have a unanimous 10 8, or if we somehow get a 10 7, we're going to examine that and figure out hey, was this a 10 7 or not? And we don't get a whole lot of unanimous 10 8s. And last year there were only 10. So the fact that today, we are talking about two rounds that were unanimous 10-8s is a, is a rare occurrence. So this, we're not going to hear from this every week. We've got two this week. It's just a little different. So we're going to start with that Jessica Andrade-Lauren Murphy fight, which we already spoke of. Very lopsided. Round three was the only round that the judges all agreed was a 10-8. Judges uh, Fajera, D'Amato, and Alves, they also saw it the same way as the 10 8. So the question I will pose and I'll start with you Dan, remembering that our bar is overwhelming damage, overwhelming dominance, overwhelming duration as uh, as all 3 of us were taught at the ABC conference uh, last year, is this a 10 7?
1: No. I I think this is a clear cut 10 8. Uh there's heavy damage. I'll I even I'll even grant overwhelming damage. I don't have overwhelming domination. I don't have overwhelming duration, but I do have each of those to a certain degree just not the overwhelming variety uh there's a point where on they're on the ground and andraj has to you know I don't want to say desperately but i'm, I'm, I'm lacking the, the the better word escape a kimora attack um where to the point where she falls down i mean this wasn't this wasn't you know this was escape by power um there's some lulls uh throughout the round but i mean the damage is, is overwhelming i'll give that so 10 eight
0: yeah, I feel like I'm I'm with you. I think this is a ten eight. But one thing I would add too, because as you know, Dan, we just had our our recent round uh, episode where we went over ten sevens. We looked at other rounds that were unanimous ten eights, that kind of thing. I watched forty forty one rounds or something like that from the last six mm-hmm. years that were all you know unanimous ten eights or had a ten seven in them. So I watched a wide swath of fights, and and some of them were some of the most lopsided women's rounds that we have had. And I think this might have been the closest that we ever got to a 10-7 in a women's round, this particular round. But I'm still on the eight. And I feel like that's a failing of the criteria. We need to actually include something where there's such high damage. This probably should be something we can think about as a seven, but it's not where we are. So it's an eight. What do you think, Aaron? You got anything to add?
2: Yeah, I think I would agree with your last point. Like in terms of women's fights, this is probably as close to a 10 7 as we've seen. Um, but I, I still lean eight just because, and when we were at the ABC conference, the round they showed us for the 10 7 was that Ortega and Holloway round. And I actually um, thought that was a 10 8 round I, I, because I didn't see any knockdowns. Um, I didn't think that the fight was necessarily that close to getting stopped at any point but that round was still m- more damage and closer to being stopped and more dominance than this round was because murphy at least is firing back she's at least um giving back offense she's intelligently defending herself the, the referee i don't think was ever like fight back fight back during this particular round so i think this is a, a, a 10-8 round but like you said it's like we're getting there like we're we're getting towards a 10-7 if there's one knockdown in this round maybe it's a 10-7 if the referee is like defend yourself you know a couple referee warnings Possibly a 10-7. There are just a couple little things that I would have had to see, but we were close.
0: So I'm going to push back a little on you, Aaron, here, because number one, it's a couple things, actually. Number one, the the idea that knockouts need to be kind of the thing that pushes over, I, I disagree with just in, in philosophically. I don't know that knockouts are as important as just times where the fighters knockdowns,
2: actually hurt, hurt, right? Just clarification, knockdowns.
0: knockdowns. knockdowns. Th- oh, sorry, thank yeah. you. I, my, my my language is definitely wrong. but Knockouts yeah, but, are definitely a ten. Yeah, yeah, I would say probably, well, <laughs> maybe even a little more. It's probably just, let's just end it at that point. But, <laughs> but yeah, so knockdowns are not necessarily the be all end all, I think. I, I think you'd rather be worried about the number of times a f- your fighter was actually like legit hurt, whether they're standing, whether they go down. Sometimes we see knockdowns that are not particularly damaging. Sometimes we see non-knockdowns that are way more damaging. And we saw a few of them on Saturday, right? And so that's kind of where I put my focus in. Number two, the one thing that I would say in terms of... kind of You're saying you thought that was a 10-8, is that uh, Holloway-Ortega round. The one thing I would add say is just the fact that we were actually taught that that is a 10-7. So if that is the bar, I think we have to start kind of adjusting to that bar, right?
2: yeah and I think I kind of acknowledged that where I said like if that's a ten seven, I don't think this round got sure, there, sure, right like you know, I think that uh you're right, like we were taught that that was a ten seven so i should I should certainly acknowledge that, but I don't think that this round had with that round had.
0: Right. I and and I think we're all unified on that one. So that that is true. But but yeah, I mean like like we were all I think in agreement on here too. This is Dan. I mean, do you agree this is probably the most lopsided women's round that we've seen? Like let's let's say in the last few years. If you want to go back further, there's Cyborg and uh, uh oh goodness, what is the 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 woman's name? It was a Strike Force fight. They always bring it up as, like, the most dominant. Like, that was a 10-7. Uh, it's escaping me. But anyway, this, in the modern time, in the modern criteria age, this is the most lopsided women's round I think we've ever seen. Do lopsided fight, for sure. Lopsided fight, for sure, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think, of of all three rounds in this fight, is this the most lopsided? In this fight? Yeah. Oh, Let's for just go sure. to this fight. Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. What about you, Dan? Absolutely.
1: I would say maybe. Maybe? I thought round one was bad. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I do. Mean, we're all bad. So...
0: Yeah, it's it's funny and and another thing too, that just the fact that this that round 1 there was a lot of outcry that that should be an 8 and and usually that doesn't always have to match up with like the way it really ought to be, but I feel like in this case it really was an 8 and I was I I think I erred in going to the 9. I think it should have been an 8. But round 1 in particular, just from going over all these unanimous eights and things like that, round 1 doesn't always show up in terms of that. I feel like judges possibly, you know, maybe even subconsciously are loath to give the eight in the first round because of how much it sets back the other fighter, the losing fighter in that fight. Because basically all they can do is get a draw at that point.
1: I, I want to point out the visible the visible damage really started showing towards the end of round one, mm-hmm. and then it was like just all swelling really. Yeah, Not, the, well, here's, here's the swelling the question didn't question. happen in round one. Oh yeah, I've we got, got, got an our... interesting
2: question to both you guys. If you took that round one and you swapped it with the round three where she's entering round one with the same damage that, like, sorry, she's entering round three with the same damage as she would have. Visibly
0: so, or or in Yeah,
2: with the same visible damage is that round one. Like, right, when you're looking at what the worst round is, if you were to just look at them round by round and ignore the accumulated damage, maybe Dan has a good point here.
0: It's a fair point. It's it's very hard. You know, it's hard to separate that okay, because we have one thing and we don't have the other. But yeah, it, it is interesting that I have seen round one is like it, it definitely is the least likely round, I would say. And I I could do a deeper dive data look uh, maybe next year for our data show at okay. the end of this year.
1: I'll, yeah. I'll say this. I think round one has the highest degree of dominance.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, she's In, totally outclassed so. her. Yeah, that's fair. That, but but yeah, I think the damage is and, and damage is paramount when we're talking about the three yeah. D's. You know, it used to be they were a little more equal. Maybe damage was still a little higher. Now it's it's almost be all end all. If it does it have the D for damage, it can be an eight. If it doesn't, you just don't see that anymore. So um, in, in, in let's say in America, because, again, we travel different story. There is another round again that, that is a, a unanimous ten eight here, and that was in Jamal Hill. Of course, defeating uh, Glover Teixeira, fifty forty four on all three cards. Round four is our unanimous eight here. Just a dominant round from Hill. But h- how close are we to the eight here, Dan? Do you do you think it's an eight or do you think it's a seven?
1: No, I think this is an eight. Okay. Uh, it's competitive. Uh, for about the first three minutes and thirty seconds, uh, Jamal Hill's winning it. I'm I'm not I'm not saying he isn't winning it, but it's just a, a at a ten nine degree right now. At about one thirty left, that's when Hill you know starts teeing off. Um. With these shots where we see, you know, Mark Goddard getting a little closer. Okay, fight back, fight back. Uh, But Glover does fight back, and he lands some good shots here. We, we have the damage for sure. Um, I just don't don't see the duration that high or uh, the dominance to that overwhelming degree. I I think it's a, it's a 10-8.
2: Where are you at, Aaron? I'll be concise here. This is closer to a 10-9 than it is a 10-7. So it's a 10-8. Wow.
0: Okay. I, see, I disagree with that. I, I'm definitely... I think this is one of the closest rounds that we've gotten in a little while to a seven. I don't think it's there. I I still don't, because again, if we're putting that bar at Holloway Ortega, I don't think it clears it. I don't think it it really comes close enough. But man, there's a lot of damage in this round by the end. And I I think that's what I would love to see if they do, you know, if they do end up going over and kind of, uh, let's say, regoing, rewording the 10-7 language, if they're open to it. I would love to put in there specifically, like, a, an extreme amount of damage can be enough to get you to the ten-seven, and, and And that really, you don't need all 3Ds, I don't think. I mean, you would get them, probably. But I think that really the only one that needs to be overwhelming is the damage. I would like to see that. If we got that as as the point, if there's an overwhelming amount of damage, that should be a 7. I'm okay with that. I don't know how you guys feel about that. but
1: Well, I think, I, I don't know if I get rid of overwhelming dominance, but I think we should crumble up duration and just throw it out. Entire yeah, I yeah. Agree with that. And they're just so silly I, I don't i don't think duration whatever
2: but everything's got to be threes sir
0: how, how can you do that <laughs> it's only two yeah. d's anymore it's
1: not not well, six like seven minutes what
2: apps. dan said though makes a lot of sense like if, if we've got around the like you mentioned three and a half minutes it's like you know it's a clear 10 nine and it's like a kind of back and forth but then that last minute and a half it's like just real overwhelming damage and fight possibly getting stopped warnings from the referee like yeah maybe maybe you throw duration out the window in that situation, I think that that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I, I joke, but I do think I think you guys are really onto something here. I think the idea that duration needs to be necessarily a part of this I think is a problem. There was the one round that we talked about in the ten seven show, Dan, uh, and that was uh, Murza Khaliev getting the uh, the ten yeah. seven from Ben Cartledge when he beat uh, CB Dalloway. And the damage in that round I think is probably higher by the end of that round than possibly any round that we've we went over in that entire show and and anyone that I actually watched again, out of 40. Um, But that's still, we ended up going as an eight because it didn't have the duration especially. And and I think that was that the common st- denominator. Yeah, that should be so. stupid. Like, Just get rid of it. I'm, I'm okay with that, too. I, I like the idea. I'm going to champion your idea, sir. Right. That's yours. All right. But, uh, but I'm, I'm with <laughs> you on that one. Uh, that is it for the rounds, though. And, and again, we have 10 finishes, as I said earlier in the show. We always like to give shine to the, uh, the finishers because we're a judging show, but we have a lot of fun watching when they don't need to go all the way to the cards. Seven TKOs or KOs, three submissions five round one finishes this this didn't feel like an event where everyone walked away saying man what an amazing event but I think it really kind of was it was like it was almost like an uh, like a a sneakily really fun event here on the whole um let's start with our guest Aaron here what would you say is your favorite finish of of this card
2: yeah I think the one thing just to to follow up what you just said, I think one of the things that detracted from it was the Brazilian sadness. In <laughs> yeah, Brazil. you're probably like, right. Like we've got like this, the first card back in Brazil, you have Hua retiring, Teixeira retiring, Figueredo laying an egg, pretty much. More or I less. I mean, you yeah. had that nice performance by Andrade and some of these finishes that we're going to talk about. From and Brazilian Gilbert spots. Burns looked
0: terrific too. And Burns looked I mean, flawless too, for sure.
2: But I think that there was there was a decent amount of Brazilian sadness, uh, unfortunately, in, yeah. in a lot of these big spots. But, um. In terms of the the best finish, like I think I think the Bonfim finish was, I mean, just the the precision in which he landed that. that uh, sir, that. there
0: were two Bonfim finishes. You're yeah, have sorry, to get the, uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: right. Is, the yeah, right, Ismael Bonfim, Ismael Bonfim finish. Although his brother had a pretty solid finish in his own right, but that Ismael Bonfim flying knee was was like just incredible, incredible precision. And I'll give an honorable mention to Bruno Fajera who. I think the people that knew, knew that this was a possibility. Like, I heard a lot of different preview shows this week talk about Fejera's big power, the fact that uh, RoboCop gets hit a lot. Um, I think that a lot of people that kind of knew about Bruno Fejera going into this knew that that was a possible outcome. And I, I would like to just give him a little bit of credit for uh, that big shot that, that put out RoboCop. But I think in terms of just the sheer brilliance of Ismail Bonfim's uh, performance in that fight, I'd give him the nod for the best finish.
0: I I, I want to say, uh, just off of off of bomb theme here. I did not uh, get deep into the weeds in terms of what he brought to the table. I wasn't as familiar with him, to be perfectly honest, going into this. And I, and I had such a high opinion of Terrence McKinney and his potential in the sport. But him going out there and and I mean the odds on this were almost pick him. And it did not manifest that way at all. This was a bomb theme fight, and-, and he looked really fantastic. So I'm super impressed with him. He really jumps up my list here. Um, but Terrence McKinney, too. the worst part about that knockout, I mean, there was a lot of bad parts of it, but... Man, he lost yeah, his mouthpiece okay. right mm-hmm. before, and it was just I was watched that and I'm like, uh-oh. And then he ate the knee right to the jaw. And he, but thankfully it was to the the side of the jaw in the sense that at least it hopefully didn't clack his teeth together or anything and mess him up. But man, that was a brutal he just fell forward. That's a that's already your clubhouse leader for knockout of the year, right? Oh big oh time. Yeah. Was that your favorite finish, Dan?
1: That was my favorite finish. But I'll also give an honorable mention to Gilbert Burns. Yes. That slow deliberate devastating jiu-jitsu is, is the absolute best. And that that arm triangle. Did, he had no chance. It was it was over.
0: I said this uh at, right after the fight too that, like realistically and I think this they put this on the the broadcast or whatever but the um the fact that Gilbert Burns, I think, could hang with literally anybody at 170 pounds from the champion down. uh, He is absolutely amazing. He's an impressive fighter. He's so well-rounded, but he's also he's he's a well-rounded fighter, like where you don't see him initially deficient in any one area to to a detrimental point. But he also has a killer thing, that jujitsu. And a lot of fighters don't have that if they're well-rounded. Like we talk about Lauren Murphy. She's very well rounded. She's not weak necessarily anywhere, but also she doesn't stand out in any one way whatsoever. Burns has that. And that's why I think he's a, he's a very special type of fighter. Glad he's at 170 pounds instead of 155, too, because it's a good example for fighters to move up in weight.
2: And you can tell the difference between a good BJJ fighter and a great BJJ fighter in the way that he executed the arm triangle where he didn't have to get his entire body over. Like we, we see that in Bella. I think we saw someone do that in Bellator last year. Where like they had it, and like you see some guys that are able to do it from mount from half, but like those are the ones that are really the greats in sure. the sport. That like they don't need to do it the way that the commentators are like. Oh, he needs to get the leg over. In the case of a Gilbert Burns, you know, just the amount of of practice he has with the leverage over the years in terms of how good he is at BJJ can finish it from any of those positions
0: i i look forward to literally any time he fights so the the future i think is still bright for him i i wouldn't rule out him having the belt one day
2: i really would not um and great he's, dude just like such a nice guy I, i've always loved speaking with gilbert
0: i've had nice interactions with him too i and this is uh so when the ufc i don't know if you play any games aaron but when the ufc video game came out about what was it now almost three years ago i think it was mid-pandemic Um, so yeah, probably two and a half years ago when that came out, I reviewed it for a video game website that I was uh, freelancing for at the time. And so I got an advanced copy and there weren't too many people online at that point, pretty much game reviewers and other people who got the game in advance. I am like 98% positive that I fought randomly Gilbert Doreno Burns on playstation in the video game and he beat me because <laughs> no. his 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 uh what was it his <laughs> his gamer tag was Dorenio something or other and how many people are going to be Dorenio something or other who get the game before everyone else does so i'm gonna Almost say the odds are high i'm gonna Almost say the odds are high I, I still gotta ask yeah. him one of these days i keep meaning to but uh we'll get to it so I, as much as obviously gabriel ah, ismael bomb theme not gabriel bomb theme uh his guillotine was terrific too But I want to give a shout out to another knockout that I really thought was just fantastic. That was Johnny Walker, who knocked out Paul Craig with essentially arm punches, right? Like, he's not really getting much hip into this because Craig has his leg held up basically to his own shin. And Walker just cracks him with this. You can tell there's not a whole lot of hip in it. Just cracks him with a right hand, cracks him with another one. And then he starts to get a little more hip into it. and, And Craig is basically done here at this point I just thought that was just a wild knockout because it's hard to knock somebody out it's harder to knock them out when you're not even getting the hips really into it so that really impressed me I mean I don't know if that jumped out at you guys too but
1: yeah uh, I actually I made a mistake I was like oh that reminds me of Anderson Silva James Irvin then I realized it was backwards that it- Anderson actually caught the kick and then punched him in that the was face. Little, That was more like yeah, yeah. I, I corrected myself. Sure, sure. That was a while ago. Though. It's
0: been a long time, but we've got a we've got a major uh, amount of knowledge in our our heads. Mm. I think it's starting to run together, right? But that was it for all the finishes. That's it for our UFC 283 business uh, and. We don't even have fights next week. There's no major events next week. No Bellator, PFL still on you know major hiatus for a while. I think, I don't remember when PFL Challenger Series comes Friday. back, but is it Friday? Well, mm-hmm. it's not a major event. It's still a uh, a Challenger Series. Uh, no offense to the fighters on that, but it's a little below where we typically focus on on our efforts as a, a judging focused show. So we
1: don't have any of that to kind of take care of next week. We're, we'll figure out something fun that we'll do. Uh, well, speaking of PFL, Aaron, that was Natan Schult from PFL who did that arm triangle. He was ah, like, yes, he, he was refusing, was. refusing to go to mm-hmm. side control. Yeah. It's driving that's, me nuts. I was exactly like, what's what going was. on here? He's
2: great at BJJ. And it didn't
1: matter. It did not matter. <laughs> he said, shut up, Dan. <laughs>
2: you
0: know, you you stay out of this. Yeah. Your jits is whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we've got nothing to talk about. I think we can wrap up here. But before we go, uh, Aaron. First off, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really glad we were able to make this happen. Uh, we've wanted you on the show for a while. I hope we can get you on again at some point and 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 have a little more fun about judging.
1: Yeah, this was awesome.
2: Well, my pleasure. You know, usually when you guys tape this, I'm I'm pre, you know pretty occupied with my family. But my my kids had a very early birthday party with my uh, my nieces and nephews. Um, and I got, you know, I'm up till whatever, three something. So my wife was like, I'll just take them. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I, my morning opened up. So perfect. happy to spend And you're with not you
0: traveling for this one. You stayed home for this one.
2: Yeah. For, for the pay-per-views outside of North America, I stay home. So this all came together in a perfect uh, fusion of mixed martial arts delights. So I'm rooting for more international
0: pay-per-views and more birthday parties for your kids to go to. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I think that's what I took out of it. Do you want to say anything else, Aaron, before you go? Anything you want to plug? You obviously you're such a busy guy, you do awesome stuff. Anything you want to say?
2: Yeah, I put together a website that just goes to all of my stuff. It's just www.aaron.report and you'll get my link tree with all the uh, all the goodies in one spot.
0: Well, awesome and Aaron uh, again thank you so much for coming on uh Dan I, I think uh, I think we're good here we'll, we'll figure out something for next week right yep so that does it thank you again for listening thank you again to our guest Aaron Bronstetter we will be back Monday with something fun I mean we've got some ideas but you'll have to wait and see
1: yeah thanks again Aaron we had a great time thanks for listening take care everybody have a great week